The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Folks, thrilled to have you here. Very excited for this. Want to let you know a couple of quick housekeeping things. If you ever have to use the restroom, they're right out here. And we're going to have a special kind of, been to the conference before, or maybe it's new, but we're going to have a special thing this time where our sponsor, Manifold, has been really good to us, helping us make this event possible. And it's a site that I actually use. It's a play money prediction website. You can bet on anything. So don't risk your real money, your hard-earned money. Manifold is the channel. Play money, predict anything, including the debates at DebateCon here this weekend. So I want to encourage you folks, if you're watching online, check out that link in the description box. For this debate, it is capitalism versus socialism. Will destiny beat Leo? So if you go to that manifold link in the description, as I mentioned, and here, if you want to use your phone and use your camera and take a picture of the QR code, you can actually vote as well, predicting. But you might be wondering, well, how do we actually decide who won, though? Like, what's the objective criteria? We're going to do an in-person pre-debate, handful, and then post-debate, handful. And it's just by percentage. So if you're leaning in uh, even just a smidge for destiny in terms of capitalism, then you'd slip your hand up. Or if it's maybe you're totally behind them, then you'd slip your hand up too. If you're at 50-50, you're like, I'm truly at 50-50, we ask you to not vote for that vote. If you lean toward Leo, socialism, any degree, we'll ask you to put your hand up that so just want to give you a heads up, that's coming, and we're going to have Ryan counting hands for that. He'll take the percentage. So, But I want to give a huge welcome. Stephen, we'd love to have you come up here. I want to say thank you so much for helping us make this event possible. It's a true pleasure to have you. So welcome, Stephen. Great. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Stephen Gruget. I'm one of the co-founders of Manifold. Uh, Manifold is a play money prediction market, and what that means is you can come onto our site and create a betting market on any question that you care about. Um, that can be serious things like the conflict in Gaza, the 2024 election, or silly things like whether your friends will be dating um, in a month. Uh, Manifold lets you do it all um, from betting on events like this to any, any event you could possibly think of. And through the power of market incentives, our markets actually are reasonably accurate, um, even using play money. So I, I encourage you all to check it out um, and enjoy the debate. Thanks so much, Stephen. Pleasure to have you. Thanks again for helping us make this event possible. But thank you all for being here. Oh, a couple of quick housekeeping things. So if you're VIP, we ask that these first two rows that has the signage that say reserved for VIP, we ask you to they'd be reserved for VIP. And then there are break rooms. So there is one just on the other side of this wall. So if you're kind of tired, you're like, I just want to sit down and be quiet for a little bit just on the other side of this wall. But otherwise, we're going to get started. I want to give a huge round of applause. We're thrilled to have our friends and guest speakers, Stephen and Leo, to be with us. We're going to start with Stephen, with his opening statement. Stephen, the floor is all yours. Oh, that's right. Pardon me. <laughs> the poll. OK. If you lean just even slightly or a lot toward capitalism, and Stephen, flip your hand. 
And if you can't, if even just slightly or a lot, you lean toward Leo and socialism because you click on something else. Well, there's a lot of unsuited society people, I'd say. You got it. All right. Well, thank you very much. And Stephen, the floor is all yours. Thanks for being with us. Uh, am I mic? Yes. Okay, gotcha. All right. Uh, well, my argument uh, against socialism is pretty simple. It rests on two big points. Uh, the first point is that I feel like despite all the promises of Marx some um, 200 years ago, I don't think there has been any country that has actually enacted any form of socialism and has like delivered on economic prosperity in the way that it would promise. It seems like overwhelmingly these countries run into problems with either uh, authoritarian dictators taking over or an inability to conduct their markets in an efficacious way, um, among a number of other smaller or more, lo more local economic problems that run into uh, communities that try to embrace like socialist or command economy policies. Um, I think that the economic unfeasibility is really bad. I think the second huge part is some of these countries seem to run into a big issue relating to social or political freedoms. Um, you have a lot of these countries, like say China or Vietnam, that end up only having a single party that's allowed to rule. And you end up, by the admission of a lot of people that support socialism or communism, basically an intolerance to other sorts of economic or political ideas. Uh, I feel like one of the reasons why capitalism is better than socialism, or one of the reasons why the system works better than socialism, is because capitalism is a larger umbrella that can incorporate multiple different kinds of economic philosophy. So for instance, if you want to do a co-op, or if you want to have your little socialism town, you can do that under a capitalist system. There's absolutely nothing today that stops you from starting a co-op, from getting your friends together, and creating whatever type of economic arrangement you want. But again, by the admission of many leftists, some of them quite large on the internet today, um, if you were living under a socialist system, things like private investment or private ownership is explicitly banned and you will be sent off to a re-education camp if you try to start a business like this. So I like the economic prosperity that capitalism delivers. I like the uh, social and liberal freedoms that capitalism tends to deliver. And I like that if you like socialism, you can try different forms of economic organization under a capitalist umbrella. And I think these are things that are not afforded to you under under any sort of socialist, communist, or Marxist system. That's my opening statement. Hey, one. Thank you for that, Stephen. We're going to kick it over to you, Leo. You got ten minutes on the floor. <clears throat> Capitalism is a word that has evoked a lot of different emotions in a lot of people throughout history. What exactly is capitalism? Well, put simply, capitalism is the notion that the means of economic production, the ways that humans produce the things that we need as a species to continue surviving on this planet, is owned and controlled privately. Capitalism has existed for somewhere between about 250 to 300 years. So in the grand scheme of things, it's still relatively new to us. Capitalism has actually done quite a few good things throughout human history. Increases in individual wealth, increases in productivity as well as technological advances and improvements in quality of life. Capitalism is not evil to me as it is to many others. However, I would say that capitalism is not perfect and it certainly has its drawbacks. There is a system, a systematic analysis of capitalism known as the labor theory of value, which I'm going to try to avoid for the sake of this discussion because it is quite technical. But there are a variety of things derived from it, known as predictions, that are made about capitalism and how we can expect it to evolve in the future. I'd like to list at least three of these predictions. 
the diminishing return of capital to the workers in the form of wages. That is effectively just a reduction in wages earned. Over the last 40, maybe 50 years, wages as measured against worker productivity, at least here in the United States, I live in the United States, I can't really speak for other countries, has gone down. The second one would be rising tension between capital owners and the laborers over hours to be worked and wages to be paid. Most people are familiar with the labor movement of the early 1900s, and we have all seen a rising labor movement in the United States today, particularly amongst railroad and auto workers. The third one is the centralization of capital into less and larger firms over time, the notion of monopolization. We have seen this in the fossil fuel industry. We have seen this in the telecommunications industry. We have even seen this in areas of the agricultural industry where something like 90% of the production of beef is controlled by four corporations. So it seems to me that these three predictions have come true. And for me, that gives us reason to potentially consider alternatives to the capitalist mode of production. I would say socialism, and I will be defending particularly market socialism, is something that we can look at and potentially implement as a means of transitioning away from capitalism into a fully socialist economy. What is socialism? Socialism is generally defined as a mode of production where the workers own and democratically control the means of production. Now, I, being a market socialist, believe in incrementalist policies that are anti-capitalist and that might kickstart this transitory stage from capitalism into socialism. Things like worker cooperatives, single-payer health care, nationalization of a variety of industries, running them like we do the post office, which is a nationalized um, institution, things like the telecommunications industry, transportation, having robust public transportation, particularly at the national level, much stronger wage and labor protections, and an increase in green energy production alongside a nationalization of the energy production industry. Now, I think that these things would do a hell of a lot more for people broadly and would benefit society more than how we are operating today. I want to reiterate that I do not think that capitalism is evil or anything like that, as you might hear from many other socialists. But I do think that what we are seeing today is that humans are technologically advancing beyond the capability of capitalism to meaningfully maintain and provide for the humans that exist on this planet. I think that is why, despite producing enough food globally to feed 10 billion people, there's only 8 billion people on the planet, and yet 5 to 6 million humans die of starvation every year. I think socialism is something that we should all consider and look at as an alternative to the systems that we operate under today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leo, for that opening statement. We'll kick it into the open dialogue. Gentlemen, the floor is all yours. Um, I guess one of the things that I run into that uh, is interesting is when we talk about capitalism, obviously we have problems with capitalism. 
Um, actually, before I get into this, do you consider countries like um, when Mao ran China or modern day China or uh, the Soviet Union, were, were these socialist countries in your eyes? No. Or, no? no? Okay. So I find that it is impossible sometimes to defend capitalism in certain arguments against uh, people that advocate for socialist reforms because what I run into is I don't get to define capitalism as textbook capitalism. Uh, textbook capitalism is perfect. There are uh, multiple competing firms in every single section of the economy. There are no monopolies. The government regulation is absolutely perfect. Uh, wages are always perfectly competitive. Workers get to have employees or employers fight over them for payments and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we all know how capitalism works in a textbook. I, most of us here have taken an Econ 101 or a Finance 101 class. Um, that form of capitalism is easy to defend as the best system of economic organization ever. Uh, but I don't get to defend that system. I have to defend capitalism with all of its messy realities, with all of its imperfect implementations, with all of its contravening forces and actors, both global and domestic. And the frustrating thing is that when I have to defend the real implementation of capitalism as, ex as it exists today, I find that I often have to run into the idealized versions of socialism that exist nowhere. I don't know how it's ever possible or even satisfying um, for a socialist to constantly say, well, this form of socialism failed, but that wasn't socialism. That form of socialism failed, but that was actually a state capitalist ran by a government. That form of socialism failed, but that was because of contravening capitalist global forces. Every single time you try to point to a successful socialist force, it, it just it, it either wasn't really socialism or it failed for some reason extrinsic to it. Um, do you think it's fair that for a capitalist, I have to defend the real world messy implementation of capitalism versus like the idealized dreamlike version of socialism that has never managed to, I guess, materialize in the real world. I think practically yes, because the reason that I think that this idealistic form of capitalism doesn't ever obtain is because of the structure of capitalism with the profit incentive. Capitalists simply aren't going to operate capitalism in the idealist sense because it doesn't maximize their profits and maintain their powerful ownership over the means of production. And with respect to socialism, I would say we don't have any successful, I agree, we don't have any successful implementations of socialism. But I think that's because too many people think that socialism is a thing that we can do when I think that much like capitalism, we didn't just, oh, let's, let's just, let's do capitalism now. Human society organically evolved into capitalism out of mercantilism, which itself came from feudalism. And I think that there isn't anything that we can do to make socialism become a reality. Humans will at some point, probably over the next 150 years, organically evolve into a socialist mode of production. And I just don't know what that would look like. And that's why personally I choose to advocate for a more market socialism that um, sort of sits as a transition between capitalism and the full-on socialism that it, I think that you, were, that you were mentioning. Sure, so I agree with what you're saying there, but it seems like if, if capitalism evolved in this like economically Darwistic sense, so capitalism basically grew out of um, the feudal to mercantilist to, to what would eventually become like the global capitalist society, why then, if the next successful and best form of economic organization is socialism, why would we need to... Um, why would we need to enact policies that grossly favor socialist policies and disfavor capitalist ones? It seemed like you were advocating for that in your opening well, speech. Well, I think because 
advocating for those policies and implementing them would Im improves humans' lives. And I think that improving human lives and operating an economic system toward the benefit of humans rather than the mass accumulation of profit would just be better. Why do we think that, so you, you talk about the profit incentive. Mm -hmm. um, why do we think that market socialism doesn't run into the same issues with these types of incentives? Well, I think that it probably would because markets are still, markets are still present in market socialism. But I think that market socialism is sort of like kick-starting that transition into full Marxian socialism where I think most of those problems are going to fall away. I think, this is just sort of a hypothetical here, that let's say in 150 years humans are living under a fully Marxian socialist economic system. I actually believe that there will probably be some problems there. And then I think that's the point where socialists then compared to people that would be arguing then for probably communism or something like that, would have to, def to defend socialism with those problems that it, that it would have. So then just to double check this, so aside from the individual workers that might be working at a firm, does market socialism solve anything that's intrinsic to profit incentive problems? Because I hear, for instance, people will say like the profit incentive is a reason why pollution exists. But then my question would be, why do we think that that would go away just because that profit incentive is now dispersed to, instead of one owner of a fossil fuel industry, uh, maybe of 100 workers? Wouldn't they, be, wouldn't they have like all the same incentives to enact whatever environmentally destructive policy there is because all of them can now profit off of said destructive policies? I, I really don't think so. I don't think under a market socialist that everybody's going to be concerned with, with making more money because I think that the money that is made, that is produced throughout the economy, would be more equitably distributed and people would probably be more wealthy. And I think that that would reduce that incentive to maximize profit and would allow people to operate economic firms in ways that are geared, even if only a little bit more, towards actually providing for the sake of humans. I don't think market socialism is perfect. I don't think socialism is perfect. But I think they're a little bit better than what we're doing now. Why do we think that equitable wages would happen throughout society? Like what would be, what's like the mechanism for, um, let's say we've got a co-op that does janitorial services and then a co-op that does, um, I don't know, transportation. What, what would cause the wages between these two separate cooperatively owned firms to equalize? Why would we think that would ever happen just because we're in a market socialist system? That I actually don't know. Okay. Um, so I feel like the, the, so a couple, so here's like a couple of big problems and then we can go on other things. So the first thing is that um, whereas it seems like we both agree that capitalism evolved naturally out of the, the, um, the, mercantile, the mercantile system that preceded it, the reason why that evolution happened was because it was just, it was a better way of organizing um, economic forces, yes. right? Capitalism allows capital to flow highly efficiently from industry to industry. We equalize uh, rate of return throughout society. It's just a really, really good way of allocating and a very dynamic way uh, money to different sectors where money can be made, um, as opposed to the command economy attempts uh, where the government tries to say where the money or investment should go, th that seemed to fail horrendously. Um, a lot of socialists, understandably so, back away from those kinds of early examples and say, well, that wasn't real socialism. But it seems that t even today we're acknowledging, despite the fact that we could do co-ops in any part of the United States, which is essentially what market socialism is. It's kind of like every single mm -hmm. firm becomes a co-op. Um, people don't seem to be gravitating towards that anywhere. I don't see any big leftists making investments into that anywhere. Um, I have a lot of questions specifically on how that form of economic organization would work. Namely, how do you 
How do you become an employee at a co-op if, if, if it requires some sort of buy-in? Um, how do you start new businesses? I, I think we can go into that in detail if you want, which I'm really curious about. Uh, but then the second part is that I don't think that market socialism really solves anything. I don't think that there is any strong argument for why uh, different competing firms in a market socialist environment would have uh, more equitable rates of return of, of money to uh, different people. Within a firm, yeah, um, maybe 100 people in a firm now make a more equal wage, but there's no reason why competition between firms would solve for the inequalities of wage distribution in the United States, which I think is largely where a lot of these problems come from. You know, As much as people want to say Jeff Bezos make so much money, uh, I don't think people that are programming at Amazon are complaining about the, the money their CEO makes. Like People don't go and work for you know, any of the FANG or any of the large tech firms and are thinking like, man, Bill Gates makes so much money, they may only make 350000 a year in total compensation. Um, so I, I think those are two big, big issues right off the bat. Um, and then we can go to more. You can, I guess, address e either of these two things um, if you want before we move on to other stuff for well, the first thing that I would say about why we don't see people moving into market socialism now and into worker cooperatives is because there isn't much of an incentive to. The economy is already largely controlled by people who have an incentive against that because it would be a threat to the means through which they maintain their wealth and their power. With respect to by buying in, I don't think that's how worker cooperatives would probably work. As the data that I've looked at, that's not how people get hired at them as is. Um, and with respect to the data that, that I've looked at, which I can, it's, it's sitting in front of me, I can cite it if you'd like, uh, worker cooperatives operate as well, if not better, than traditional capitalist firms. And I do think that they're going to have problems. I, I, like I said, I don't think worker cooperatives are perfect, but I do think that they are. What's that? Oh, uh, I do I think that they are a little bit better than capitalist firms. With respect to competition between them, I think there would probably still be competition between worker cooperatives. I don't know if it would be quite as ruthless as it is now, because I think that the profit in incentive would be reduced and so would provide for. A, a less of a ruthlessness to the competition. But I also think that there might be more cooperation involved between, even between industries as a result of decision making at these firms being a little bit more broadened. And I think that a lot of people may look more towards cooperation rather than ruthless competition. Um, but I should add just really quickly, I think competition is healthy. Even within capitalism, I do think competition is healthy. And I actually think most capitalists don't really like competition. Okay, and I think that's why we see monopolization in a lot of industries. Sure, that's possible. So we can say capitalists don't like competition, um, but I mean a simple question. In your ideal market socialist transition, would capital firms that are privately uh, owned, would those still be allowed to exist? I think for a time, yes. For me, it, it would be a slow transition. Again, incrementalist, sort of starting with an incentive for new firms. To, um, to structure themselves as cooperatives, incentives for current firms to structure themselves as cooperatives, and sort of that slow transition with incentives into worker cooperatives, and then say, maybe, I don't know, I'm just sort of throwing out numbers for the sake of the argument. 30 years after that, the government sort of mandates that you have to be a worker cooperative at that point. Okay, so I, I, don't, think the, I don't think the argument that um uh, co-ops don't start because capitalists are, you know, you know, bullying them out. Which I'd be curious, like, what even are the mechanisms that are causing that to happen? Uh, because, as you said, there are. I don't think it's bullying them out so much as 
They're just not doing it. It's not the system we currently live under. That's not what people are looking at. There just isn't an incentive for it. Yeah, but like, where are all of these employees like clamoring for cooperatively owned businesses? Why don't they just go well, start them? Why not, not start a cooperatively? And I would argue from a Marxist perspective that the reason for that is, is that they're more focused on meeting their immediate material conditions, going to work to earn the wage, to pay their bills, and so they can pay their rent and pay, get medicine for their kids and buy food to feed their families. People are focused on that. They're That's a strong argument for working class people. Doesn't explain, though, why you don't see a whole bunch of um, tech workers get together and make cooperatively owned businesses. Well, I think tech workers are <coughs> largely going to be contained in the working class. I don't tech think work, you think tech workers are struggling to feed their children, afford medication? Well, I don't think working class necessarily means struggling. Okay. What is your, I'm sorry, real quick. What is your... Um, because I understand for, for a Marxist, working class just means you're part of the proletariat, meaning you are an employee that's working yeah. somebody you, else's capital. You sell your labor power. Yeah. And I think tech workers sell their labor power. Okay, so. sorry. Because earlier, when you said working class, you implied that the working class are people that are struggling to make ends meet. So it sounded like there well, was, it was an it's economic... It's more that the working class aren't... They don't think about these things. They're not really concerned about it because they're focused on other aspects of their lives, like meeting their immediate material conditions. Gotcha. But even higher members of the working class that aren't just focused on meeting their... Immediate... I would argue they still are focused on me. I would argue everyone is informed, their interests are informed by the material conditions under which they live. Okay, so... And meeting those. Meeting okay, those so people. even people making high, healthy six-figure salaries and educated um, positions or high-skilled labor positions, these people are too fixated on their material conditions. Of course, and even needs. capitalists are focused on their material conditions, but their material conditions are different, so they inform different interests, like investing in other capitalist firms to maximize return and maximize profit and things like that. Everyone, their interests, their material interests are informed by their material conditions, being in different classes, and this is where the concept of class in Marxism comes from, is living under different material conditions. None of us lives the way that billionaires do, so our interests are different than billionaires' interests are, because the conditions under which we live that inform our interests are different than the conditions under which they live that inform their interests. Okay, I I understand the argument, but I'm I, I'm I guess for me, I'm obviously as a capitalist, I'm I'm wholly unconvinced. So we have a superior form of economic organization that doesn't, in the transitionary phase at least, promise to address, um, in the short or long term, any of the big problems in society. Um, this form of economic organization does not have an organic movement towards it like capitalism did. Um, this form of economic organization would require strict government restriction well, I, to get there. I think there would be an organic evolution into socialism. I don't think that we're probably there yet, or maybe we're at just the very start of it, and then over, I don't know, the next, like I said, 100 or 150 years, that gets that... Um, that transition gets bigger and bigger, that movement gets bigger and bigger, and more and more people demand better of Well, I thought economies. if you said that like wages are having problems, there's increased antagonism versus bosses, that capital mm -hmm. is centralizing, how is this an organic evolution towards socialism? Well, I don't think necessarily that that's an organic evolution towards socialism, more, as it, more than it is a um, sort of people starting to reject the capitalist mode of production, which I would think would come at the start of a transition. These transitions don't happen quickly. Humans didn't evolve into capitalism immediately. That took probably, and I would argue mercantilism was sort of a transitory stage from more of a feudalistic, monarchistic 
economic system into the, the capitalist economic system that we currently have. And we say, when we say devolved into capitalism, are you implying that the systems before it were superior? That feudalism no, was no, better? No, no, evolved into oh, capitalism. Evolved, okay. Capitalism is certainly okay. better for humans than, than feudalism or anything like okay, that. Okay, sure, I, I just want to say then. Um, I, I guess then my, my only other, I mean, the only other question I, I can think of, I guess, then is like, why do you think we haven't seen any country that's attempted uh, to try this transition to socialism? Why have none of these countries worked out? Why have we not had... Because they've tried to yeah. sort of force the, a transition into socialism. Like, let's do socialism right now. If somebody tried to do that with capitalism 300 years ago, they would have faced the same problem. They would have failed because broadly, globally, capitalism hadn't caught on. The, the transition hadn't really started yet. And that's just going to make it difficult. That's what I mean by an organic transition is that it, well, it's, not, that, it's that, not like we all get together and say, all right, let's, it's time to do socialism. It's that starts with this slow rejection of the capitalist mode of production, people wanting something more, people starting to advocate more and more for different ideas, different economic structures and systems, and implementing them that slowly moves us towards an economic system that's more democratic than what we currently have, such that at some point in the future, we're no longer living under capitalism and are living under a much more democratic economic structure that we would, or that I would recognize as socialism. Well, didn't the, um, wouldn't we argue that all of the early attempts at socialism were actually the opposite of that, that it wasn't forcing people into socialism, that these were transitory stages? I thought that was the whole point of vanguard parties or the whole point of like, oh, um, where China's I'm at. very much opposed to vanguardism. I would argue that vanguardism was essentially trying to force socialism, and that's why they failed. Also, I'm... Well, real quick, what's the difference between that and what you want to do with giving preferential loans to uh, cooperative or market socialist companies and slowly easing back the amount of capital available for capitalists to invest in businesses? Aren't you essentially going to be creating the same type of vanguard? I don't think that's the same as like putting people in work camps and stuff like that. I don't think those things that happened like with the Soviet Union and Maoist China and everything like that, I don't think the same problems would arise with um, the implementation of policies that incentivize worker cooperatives alongside capitalist firms. You've, I mean, like I said, it's, it's incrementalist. This doesn't just happen overnight. And things like universal single-payer health care, robust public transportation, public telecommunications, things that I mentioned, I don't think that's anywhere n remotely close to what we saw with the Soviet Union or with Mao's China or even with China today. Which I, I agree with what you're like saying there. Capitalist yeah, society. I definitely agree with that. But I don't think any of those things are remotely closer to socialism. Um, I don't, think I don't either. Market socialism, it is a bit of a misnomer because you still have markets, you still have commodification, there's things like that. But there's a much more democratic control over the economy than there is right now. Workers, these people in here that have jobs don't really have much of a say over where they work, what, what that firm does. So the CEOs, the executives could choose to lay off a bunch of people and move those jobs to Mexico, and none of those people have any say in that at all. Whereas with the worker cooperative, that would be put to a vote for the workers. Hey, are you guys willing to give up your jobs so that we can send them to Mexico? Most of them would probably say no, and then that wouldn't happen. So it's just, let's make the economy a little bit more democratic and see if this kickstarts this movement into a fully democratized economy, lacking things like de de excuse me, decommodification and some of the other features of the capitalist system. Gotcha. But I don't think this is going to happen overnight. Okay. To be clear, like when that. you say more democratic, what you really mean is like 
less democratic for certain areas of more democratic, right? Because right now, if anybody wanted to create a, a co-op or a, a market socialist operating firm, you could do that anywhere. But in your idealized system, the one we're making steps towards, um, private ownership and private investment would effectively be illegal, right? You would never be allowed At to do that. At some point, that would probably be the case. Well, necessarily, right? It would have to be the case. Yeah, right? at some point, but not not like right away. It's not like, all right, we're going to make private investment illegal, and you can only, because that would that would just completely destroy our economy. So we, I mean, we can't do that. And that's Try, I, mean, I didn't mean it. I just mean it's, it's a tad ironic to refer to it as a more democratic system when certain ideologies are not only necessarily incompatible with the state, they would be banned from certain forms of economic participation as well. Well, I don't think those forms are themselves democratic. So I think that at some point, eliminating non-democratic forms of economic investment is would be better for people. Okay, um, I think that's my back and forth. I don't know what else you want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Or what, how much time do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at the time break. Right there. One prompt. Uh, one prompt is Leo. Isn't it a leap to assume socialism is the next step in economic evolution? Why not assume it would be some other yet thought of system? Um, because capitalism is an undemocratic system of economic control, and the next step would be one that would be democratic. So any economic system that is democratic, where the workers have that, that democratic, that broad democratic control over economic production, would just be socialism. And to me, that is the next step. I would want to hear an argument for what would be the next step other than that. and what kind of model that would be and what it would look like. Any thoughts on the other side, or did you uh, want to move into the Q&A? Um, I, I mean, to, I take issue with the idea that like a firm operating under, so when we talk about incentives for firms, we talk about incentives for unions are a good thing. Um, I think yes. people run into uh, this issue where they think worker equals good and firm equals bad, instead of just firm is the firm and the worker is the worker. Mm -hmm. I um, agree with that. Yeah, I hear Capitalist people, firms are just firms. It's, they, they don't do anything. It's, oh, sorry to interrupt, but it's, it's the workers and then the, I would say it's the owners of the firms and their interests that they use the firms to meet that creates the problems. And so one of the points of socialism and one of the points of Marxism broadly is to eliminate that class of individuals that has that much power over the society such that they can use the economy to meet their interests, which I think, as we have seen plainly, comes to the detriment of societies broadly. Sure, um, that can happen. But I don't feel like there's been a convincing argument made on the other side that organizing these firms, taking away the capitalist owner, and then distributing among the workers, because people associate workers with good, they think that more democratic, better for the workers, both of those things are almost certainly true, is going to be better for society. I don't think that's ever been demonstrated. I don't understand why there would be any mechanism where that would you be true. You don't think a democratization of economies like we've done with our governments would be better for society like it I don't was think, for our governments? I don't think necessarily that follows. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I would um, say I don't so, think it necessarily well, yeah, yeah. follows What I'm saying either. is all we're doing is we're shifting around some of the incentives, but it doesn't necessarily mean that these incentives are going to align in a way that's better for society. I all it really means that. is the incentives are probably aligning in a way that's better for the workers. Now, if you're a worker in a particular 
particular firm, that's good. And but most we've people seen are workers. Most people are not workers of every firm in the United States, well, though. No, but most so, people are are workers rather than owners. That's true, but more people buy from privately owned companies than work for different types of privately owned companies, right? Of course. So, for instance, we run into issues in parts of the United States where labor unions that are representing workers um, might be blocking the implementation of green energy programs. This has happened, or at least when I lived in California, there's a big deal in California yeah. that the AFL-CIO, the largest collection of labor unions, um, fights pretty stringently at times against certain implementations of green energy policy yep. because there aren't going to be good jobs there for some of their workers. So this would be an example where the, the laborers themselves are actually standing in contrast to what would be better for all of society because they're representing their own interests, which I want to be clear again, it's not necessarily a bad thing for workers to represent their interests, but I think it's a mistake to pretend that just because workers are representing their interests, all of society will be better off for it. Workers don't represent the interests of all workers. Of People course. that are working uh, as a police officer in a police union are not representing the same interests as teachers working in teachers unions. And there are times where the unions can actually be at odds with the um, with the contravening uh, population sentiment as well, right? We'll see, for instance, in local elections how important it is that you have to, uh, you've got to bow out and, and basically give a ton of concessions to emergency service unions. Um, at least in Omaha, where I was from, that was a really big deal that if you're running for mayor, you have to have the, uh, the firefighters, the cops on your yep. side. Yep. Um, so there are times here where, where labor unions or workers in general, labor in general, could be advocating for things that are not in, in a good thing for society. So the, the idea that we want to make a huge transition from one form of economic organization that is undoubtedly superior to the form that came before it, undoubtedly superior to the attempts at socialism, if I grant that they weren't socialism that existed in other parts of the world, that we want to abandon that and try a whole new form of organization that doesn't even have the underlying mechanisms necessary that even theoretically would address societal problems um, but that we want to actually start to make that transition using a combination of government policy and capital controls, and then we want to phase out capitalism in favor of this other form of organization that would make illegal capitalism. Um, I, I find that, yeah, that, that line of argumentation is, it feels very heavily ideologically driven in a very negative, uh, not willing to confront reality kind of way. So one thing I would say is the mechanisms for capitalism didn't exist under monarchism or mercant or um, uh, feudalism either, they slowly came about as humans began to evolve organically into different ways of organizing the economy. The mechanisms for socialism do not exist currently because we're not, we don't live under a socialist economy. Again, that organic evolution has to sort of happen of its own accord. I'm just advocating for policies and sort of not, I, I don't know if I would say that market socialism is a completely different mode of economic organization, but I would say it is different from capitalism, but that's why I argue, argue for incremental changes like that that don't shock the economy rapidly, which I would say would probably cause economic collapse globally. Sure. Can I ask one more question? Yes. Um, you keep saying that you're viewing market socialism as just a transitory thing. Mm -hmm. So is your goal at the end for every price control and every, every all labor and everything to be ultimately dictated by like a form of central committee? that every labor is sent to a particular firm, that the cost of everything, all the wages, are eventually set by some central governing body? No, I don't think so. To me, that would be more of like a, maybe like a statism or something like that, and I consider that different from a socialism. 
because we what don't is live market socialism transitioning to then? Because the my understanding is the reason why it's called market socialism is because your economic organization eliminates the private ownership, but the prices of goods and labor is still largely set by market forces, mm -hmm. and that's why it's called market socialism. Yes. So what yes. is your market socialism transitioning to, if not full socialism, well, which full I believe socialism. would demand a, a form of command economy um, where wages and prices for goods and services and everything are set by a central body? Or yeah, you can tell me the difference. Well, I don't know if they would necessarily be set by a central body under full socialism because I don't live under full socialism. I don't actually know how it would play out, just like people living under monarchism couldn't have known how capitalism would play out. So again, it's just, and this is one of the big things about socialism is we can define it, but we can't say what it's going to, what's, what it's going to look like when it manifests. Just like under monarchism, they couldn't have known, they might have had an idea of this you know, private ownership over the economy, but I don't think they would have known what that would look like when it manifests in the world as we do now. Sure, and then so. final point, we keep saying they wouldn't know, they wouldn't know, they wouldn't know. The difference is nobody had to make government policy saying we're banning socialism, we're only doing capitalism, we're banning mercantilism, we're only doing capitalism, mm -hmm. we're banning kings and queens, we're only doing capitalism. Capitalism grew yep. um, because, because market forces are real, they're powerful, and that form of private organization just eventually exploded around the world and overtook what was there before it. We didn't have to, there, there didn't have to be a government policy massaging capitalism early on or banning competing forms of economic organization. It just took over. The difference here is that you are suggesting a, a, a move toward socialism using preferential government policy, meaning um, you're, you're disfavoring the current capitalist organization. So you are asking for to move against where I guess the markets want to be right now. So I don't think it's I don't think it's satisfying to say, well, they didn't know that capitalism would be like this. Like, yeah, sure, but nobody in the beginning was forcing um, you know the early economies to transition to more market-based systems. So I feel like it's a bit different there. Yeah, I just think that forcing the systems to move today is just a benefit if we can force them to move in directions that better meet the needs of the humans that exist on this planet. And I think that there's probably ways in which governments have done that already, particularly with um, supporting things like unions, which largely oppose a lot of the, a lot of the interests of capitalists. And other things like enacting um, labor protections and all these things that I think it's clearly obvious that capitalists fought and continue to fight against. The markets don't want, seem to want that either, but governments are effectively forcing that on them. So I don't necessarily think um, that that's really a bad thing. And under socialism, you were talking about sort of this central committee. I don't know if that would be bad if that's the way that, that it played out, um, because of course I don't live under an economic system, none of us do, that, that is structured that way. I know a lot of people argue this, well, if it's all centrally controlled and all that, that would be bad. I don't know if there's really any meaningful evidence that we can point to that supports that, because forms of like central organization today have largely operated within a global, globally capitalist economic system, so I don't think, because th that's the thing, socialism would also be global. You couldn't have one country that is socialist within a broadly capitalist, a broadly capitalist mode of production. That country is going to fail because the global market will not favor it. So not only then do we have to ban capitalism from our countries, there would have to be like a worldwide... I don't know if it would be banning so much as just, again, an organic evolution away from it. I think that there would be incentives put in place that might 
Well, when we say like a capitalist country would outcompete a socialist country, it seems like we're it seems like we're literally granting the strongest economy yeah. would just sort of disfavor a socialist sure. economy, and that I would think be, that's that, that largely be. because of the interests of the capitalists just not wanting to do business with a socialist country. Okay, I, that doesn't. I mean, like, okay. I, I don't know where that idea comes from at all. I mean, if goods, well, if, if you, I don't think capitalists like socialism. It doesn't matter. All they have to do is want to outcompete the other capitalist. If there's a socialist country and two capitalist countries, and the one capitalist country doesn't want to trade with a socialist country, the other capitalist country will, and they'll just outcompete the other capitalist country, right? At some point, you're going to be forced to compete unless I don't think you. so. I think capitalists tend to band together usually as a result of their interests against systems that um, threaten the system that we have now, through which they maintain their wealth and their power. And I think that's their interest. They can, but at the very least, I mean, in a capitalist system, though, there would always be an opportunity for somebody to come up and take advantage of those other systems in order to outcompete the capitalist firms. I don't think they would under capitalism globally as it exists today. I think capitalists would band together and sort of shut them out. And I think capitalists have done that before, particularly when they buy out local smaller firms as a means of eliminating competition because it's in their interest. I don't, I want your customers because then I can just funnel more money into my pocket if you're not out there taking their money. I mean, well, if you but think that's about not only it, in their interest, that's also in the interest of the people that are running those businesses, right? Well, that, those are, that is the capitalists. Maybe. I mean, I mean, if to use the tech example from earlier, do you think that a tech startup with four or five people, that those people should be banned? It's a bad thing if they sell their business well, to Amazon no, or Microsoft? Well, no. Four or five people is already pretty much kind of like a worker cooperative. Yeah, well, that's sense. what I'm saying, because in a lot of early like tech startups, you might just give equity and like very small wages to people. So you're saying that like those people selling their business to a larger tech firm, that that's like necessarily a bad thing? Necessarily a bad thing? No, but I think that generally speaking, that that's not really a good thing for small firms to sell out. Okay. Eliminating competition. I mean, if you think about it, if there's two companies that you can buy a product from and they're the only two companies, they can charge you whatever they want. There's no other company for you to go to that offers cheaper products because they bought them out. And I think that's largely why they do it. It's in, it's in their interests. They make more money. All right. We go back and forth on this forever. So, if you want to do. So yeah, what we're going to do is uh, we have a little, uh, a, a couple other prompts, but I do have a fact here uh, from uh, McKinsey Global Institute from 2017 to start this question. So up to one-third of U.S. workers could be displaced by 2030. Globally, between 400 and 800 million individuals will be put out of job by automation and will need to find work. So we're talking about, uh, you know, a thousand people at a, at a place that get replaced by robots, and now you only three people to fix the robots. So the question is, socialism can provide financial security and social safety net for people who lose their jobs to ever-advancing robots, AI, and technology. How is your, your view as socialism or um, capitalism? So how is that going to resolve that? Marx actually talks about this. I don't really want to get into what he said because that goes into LTV and I'm trying to avoid that. Not because I can't defend it, but because it's just... We don't need to talk about it. It's, it's, it, it's complicated. Um, but yeah, imagine in 2048 when currently 40% of current jobs don't exist. It's not that these people are lazy and don't want to work. It's there literally are no jobs for them to do. Do they just starve to death because they can't earn money? Of course not. We'd have to capture some of that income that the, or some of that um, uh, wealth that the economy is creating to provide to them so that they can maintain their existence. I don't know what else they would do to earn the money that they need 
to survive. And I think that kind of shows that capitalism as an economic structure is we're slowly, with automation and other things like that, we're slowly moving past its ability to meet our needs as humans. And that at some point it will just organically happen that capitalism will fall away for a more socialist looking um, or socialist structured form of economic production. Um. Is the McKinsey Institute, what is the, never mind, I won't even ask. Um, I don't know what the political leaning is. Uh, there's something called the lump of labor fallacy. It assumes there is a fixed amount of uh, labor in a society for a given population to work. Um, I'm pretty sure we've been hearing, I think literally since, since Marx, um, that all the jobs are going to be eliminated uh, because of the sewing loom or because of the uh, printing press or because of the automobile or because of whatever. Um, it hasn't happened yet. Unemployment in the United States is at historically low percentages, like lower than it even should be for a healthy economy. Um, the idea that in some number of years, all of a sudden we're going to run out of jobs, we're going to run out of labor, we're not going to have anything left to do. Uh, again, it's been said over and over again, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't think any reasonable economist has given an actual prediction stating that we're going to run out of work. Again, this has been said for hundreds of years over the world, and it just doesn't happen. Um, the um, there's also, but there's also a second thing I, I want to talk about here that I think is really important. So we have this idea that robots might replace people. And I mean, the assumption would be that they're doing the job more efficiently than the people would be. I think it's interesting that the counter argument from the socialist perspective is, oh, no, no, no. Well, in a socialist uh, environment, we wouldn't lose those jobs. So does that mean we're going to have like a bunch of people working jobs like in suboptimal ways that could just be better automated? Like at that point, wouldn't it be better? And again, I have to contend with my real capitalist implementation with the fantastic socialist implementation. In the fantastic socialist world, I guess we ban all forms of automation. Uh, you know, computers don't exist anymore, and we've got 400 women in a warehouse, you know, locked up doing math equations all day so that calculators never replace their jobs. Uh, wouldn't it be better to have a system where we actually just do all the automating, but we tax it a bit higher, we take the taxes, we distribute it in society, and instead of taking a, a job where there were 1,000 people working, and in the socialist environment, they're still working the same dumb jobs. Well, in the capitalist environment, those 1,000 people working are now 200 people working, but they're taxed a bit higher. And then the 800 people working are you know, just given higher earned income tax credits or higher negative tax returns or something like that. Wouldn't that be a better way of, organiza of organization rather than just having laborers endlessly defend shitty, out-of-date jobs that probably you know, aren't even going to be competitive with other firms or the rest of the world? I think so, yeah. I mean, that's, I think you would have to do something like that under capitalism as automation increases. Also, as we have technologically advanced, do you think most workers today are doing as productive, like actual direct productive labor, like a coal miner or somebody working in a steel foundry? Do you think people are doing work like that as much or more today as they were, say, 100 years ago? Or do you think that I think our labor is a lot more technical and abstracted, of course, from like direct like mining rocks. Yeah, of course. Okay, okay. But I don't. But I don't know. That. In a socialist society, maybe it always would have been mining rocks, right? Because as soon as some you know asshole brings a machine to, to to mine the quarry, you know the socialist laborers might look at it and go, well, hold on. If this guy with his one machine can mine all of our rocks, it's going to make the fifty of us look like idiots. We're going to ban that machine, which seems like something that could like conceivably happen in your idealized socialist society because then you're just going to have a, a bunch of workers that are standing around with nothing to do. So under full socialism, I don't know the place that currency would have, but I would think that as long as there is some form of currency as we understand it today, there will have to be some sort of universal basic income, which I think would be socialism would be much more amenable to than capitalism would, which 
I think that at some point in within the near future, something like a universal basic income is probably going to be adopted in the United States, maybe amongst other countries as it is. I don't know when, but I think in the near future that is something that's going to happen as a result of the rise of automation and the need for people to still maintain some level of income so that they can purchase you know the goods and services that they need that they need to live their lives all right the next question all right our next prompt here uh so uh, a common criticism of capitalism is that it fails because there are no profits and things uh, like protecting the environment nature parks building parks socialism pr solves these market failures uh, thoughts on the panel? I'm Steven. not even sure if I would agree with that. I would have to hash out that with whoever asked that question. I'd have to hash that out a little bit more with them, tease out a little bit more information. So I, I don't even know if, how much I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that in, in, in any economic organization, there are going to be things that need to be solved for that don't directly have some sort of like profit incentive, or you, you run into like free rider problems, or you run into tragedy of the commons, where you, basically you have these big problems that kind of affect everybody, but any individual actor trying to solve it doesn't get adequate compensation for it, or doesn't even see the reward for it, right? Um, if you decide that you want to stop polluting the river, but all 400 of your friends are still polluting the river, I mean, what's even the point, you know? Um, I would argue that capitalism does not solve for these things. These are called externalities in an economic sense. Uh, it's external in that there is a, some form of production or some activity you could do, and the problem created is external to any of the um, inputs or outputs economically, what's going into the thing, right? Your profit, your costs, none of this is um, taken into account with these external problems. So in a capitalist society, you would need a government to say, hey, uh, if you emit a certain amount of carbon, uh, you're gonna get taxed on it so that you can uh, take that externality and make it part of your productive inputs. Or you say, hey, we're going to make this illegal, so now there's the threat of jail. Um, in a capitalist society, that's how you would solve for that. I'm pretty sure in a socialist society, you would solve for it in literally the exact same way. Um, as I brought up earlier, you know, there are examples today of laborers that will fight against certain types of uh, green energy programs because it threatens their currently existing fossil fuel jobs. Uh, there's no reason to think that a laborer is this holy unit that is going to give up their job, their way of life, and everything because they think it'll benefit all of society. I think that laborers are invested in their work and the money that they make and everything uh, just as much as like a greedy capital owner could be. Um, if anything, I would argue that a greedy capital owner probably has a little bit more flexibility because them losing a certain investment isn't the end of the world for them. Whereas a laborer fighting for his job against an incoming like green energy energy uh, plant, like a solar panel facility, for him, that might be his entire livelihood. The, uh, the laborer might even be more invested in the fight against, we'll say, green energy is the example I keep using. Um, so yeah, I would say that the only way to address these things are with government programs. Uh, so you either have to I incentivize agree. it economically, or you have to do it legislatively, like make it illegal, basically. Yeah. All right. We got one uh, other prompt here from our live chat. So thank you in the live chat for Stephen. But will even the ideal textbook description of capitalism inevitably devolve into a system with problems we see today. So that kind of ties into another question that we had here on our prompt, which was, how will your system address inequalities? Well, I mean, the idealized system is, is always going to be perfect. So I don't know how to, uh, like, an idealized socialist system would have every firm also looking out for other firms, and every worker would be united with every other worker's struggle, even if they work in different firms. In an idealized, as I don't know what would actually happen, in an idealized capitalist society, every single negative externality would be priced in via government policy, such that everybody is ultra-incentivized to do things 
uh, in the way that's the most advantageous to society at all points in time, right? And like in the in the perfect capitalist society, there are health insurance markets and hospitals available for everybody that's competing all across the borders, and there's enough government incentives to make sure that everybody is like competing in the best way for the best healthcare outcomes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, and, and, I mean, in any idealized society, there's always going to be a number of policies that you can enact to make sure that your particular um, whatever. I guess whatever you're trying to maximize for is maximized for. Uh, but the reality is that there are no idealized societies. So we kind of have to look at what gets us the closest to those idealized societies. And I would argue that's where the government comes in for rules and regulations to try to push a capitalist society you know, via your invisible hand in the best direction for all the people. I just want to clarify again that I agree that there, there is no idealized society. I don't think socialism is some sort of idealistic system. In fact, those who know their Marx knows their Marxism, no Marx was no friend to idealism. Uh, that's why, you know, it's ma dialectical materialism, historical materialism, because he, the concept of idealism he, did, he didn't agree with. Um, and I don't even think, and I've made this statement again, I just want to clarify it, that socialism is perfect. Socialism is not perfect, it will have its problems, and it will also be replaced by an even more appropriate uh, mode of production itself. So socialism is not the end state of human economic production. I don't know if there ever will be one. Um, Marxists usually say communism is sort of an end state to human economic production. Um, I, I see where they're coming from as a Marxist, but I still am a little skeptical of that. But I just wanted to reiterate that I agree with Stephen. There's, there's no such thing as, as an idealized society. Marxism is not idealistic. Socialism is not idealistic. Communism is not idealistic. Socialism will have its problems. There, the government may probably have to step in and regulate that to help with those problems. And socialism is also not the end state of human economic production. Just as a quick uh, intervention there, socialism is idealistic in the sense that it only exists on paper so far, right? Like, it, there's, it is, it is well, I don't ideal know what idealistic would mean in that sense, I It's guess. an idea. Well, of course, capitalism is also an idea. But it's also, like, there is an implemented actual policy yeah. of capitalism. So when people say socialism is idealistic, they're not referring to idealism versus materialism. Materialism is just the, the form of analysis that Marx used when mm -hmm. looking at the relationship between, right, like capital and labor. That's like a materialistic mm -hmm. analysis. But when people say that, um, when people say that socialism is idealistic, they don't mean uh, it, uh, you know, it falls under the school of philosophy of idealism. They just mean that it only exists on paper so far because we haven't seen an actual implementation of socialism that either satisfies a socialist enough to call it socialism or works in reality, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I can agree with that. I don't think that's a point against socialism, but yeah, I think it's, it's true. All right. Next one. Uh, so, Destiny, why do you like unions when they're inherently uh, I don't think unions are anti-capitalist. Um, again, uh, people morally load a lot of things like capital owners or laborers. Usually in today's society, capital owner is, is morally loaded as bad, and laborer is normatively loaded as good. Um, I don't think that unions are good. I don't think that unions are bad. I think that unions are a collection of workers that are representing themselves against a capital interest or an owner. I think that uh, today, as capital has become more and more and more productive, and the benefits of owning capital have increased dramatically, um, the, the owning businesses, the, the size of businesses, the global markets, it seems to be the case that capital owners have a massively disproportionate power to negotiate against um, 
to negotiate against laborers. So in that sense, when, when your market forces are starting to heavily favor one side as it favors the capital owner, it's probably a good idea that laborers have some ability to negotiate as well. So in that sense, like I'm massively in favor of labor unions. I don't think it's a free market or a good capitalist market when monopsony power or monopoly power exists on the behalf of the capital owner. And you know, I could I could envision a different society where there aren't very many capital owners, where laborers have laborers have a ton of rights and they can fight for way too high wages and they're putting all sorts of uh, business sectors out of business and the and the capital owners might need a few more protections. But historically, I'm not sure if that's ever happened. And where we're at right now today, it seems to be pretty obvious that the, the laborers themselves need more protection. So in general, I'm in favor of labor unions because it gives laborers the ability to negotiate and fight against capital power more effectively. I would agree with a lot of what Stephen said. I don't think that unions are anti-capitalist. I'm not really sure what that would mean. Um, what, what I would say is that I, I agree with him that they're a way of workers, a way for workers to organize against the interests of capital owners. But what I would also say, sort of as a question, just to get people thinking, is why do capital owners have so much power over workers that workers have to band together to organize against them? And also, should we have a class of individuals that has that much power over society to begin with? Just food for thought. Uh, will sex box replace streetwalkers who will clean them? <laughs> will that create more jobs or less? Oh, this this roller coaster is about. Is the sex worker union fucked or not? Unintended. <laughs> Myself, I'm not really sure how to respond <laughs> to that one. I don't think robots are going to replace um, sex workers. I. I think human-human interaction is very much favored by most humans, so. Uh, I think there will come a time when this will happen, and I think it'll be pretty sudden. I don't think we're there quite yet. Um, there are definitely forums online you can go to where people are starting to talk to AI robots online. Uh, AI robot, obviously. Um, and something that you find in some of these communities is these people can get like very addicted very quickly to their little AI partner. So I think that I think once the technology gets good, I think we'll be surprised to see how many people start to actually move over there. But I, I don't know when we're going to get there. The, the, it, I feel like the AI sex robot question is similar to like the AI driving question, where mm. it's going to be like the end of the world or the end of the economy. But for some reason, it's always five years away. Um, we, I, I think. I, f I feel like the first time I heard about self-driving cars being a real possibility was around when I graduated high school in 2007, um, and we're constantly like one to five years away from full self-driving cars, so who knows what will happen when we get there. Yeah. I do just want to say one thing. Um, with the whole self-driving cars, people I've heard always talk about, oh, it's so cool, they're going to be able to drive themselves. I grew up in Iowa, and I'm just like, we've had tractors that have been doing that since like 2002, so that's, I'm, I'm already used to things that can drive themselves. All right, we'll uh, go into the next one here. So life expectancy in post-Soviet Russia dropped as low as, actually, this is the, that part of the, sorry, no, we had a fact for this one. Sorry, fellas. Life expectancy in post-Soviet Russia dropped to as low as 57 years for men, and is still today just 65 years. This is compared to the 76 years in the US and the 81 years in Canada. Is it the case that socialism leads to poverty and tyranny? Well, since Soviet Russia wasn't socialist, they were an authoritarian state, and Russia is still an well, a totalitarian state, I would argue 
that probably has more to do with it. Um, the state being totalitarian and the government just doing nothing for their people, particularly in terms of health, probably is the reason why uh, a lot of more developed Western countries um, have higher health, uh, health exp life expectancy, better health outcomes. Uh, and, and mind you, in my opening, I, I acknowledged the benefits of capitalism. I do think that capitalism provided a lot of benefits to society. I do think that increases in life, and life expectancy, productivity, personal wealth, technological advancement came from capitalism. I just think that what we're seeing is the system is starting to crack. And it is no longer, well, I wouldn't say right now is no longer, but it's, we're slowly seeing that it's struggling to hold up human society in ways that benefit humans. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that capitalism is struggling. I think that there are countries that are struggling. I think there are, um, like, we've faced huge issues in the world. Um, you know, we've got Palestine and Israel blowing themselves up right now. We've got Ukraine and Russia continue to blow themselves up. And we had a virus that, like, blew up the whole world. I mean, um, there are problems that we run into. But I, I feel like um, it, it hasn't been said by the, my debate partner, to be fair, but I, I hear this criticism a lot of capitalism, of like the boom-bust cycle, that capitalism creates winners and losers, that it's prone to epic failures over and over again. Um, but the reality is, I, I, think, I feel like the boom-bust cycle, that capitalism has problems but eventually solves them, I think that's a feature of capitalism. And I, and I think it's a good thing, as opposed to socialist countries that just bust, bust, bust until they break and then dissolve or uh, have another revolution or coup or something changes. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like, obviously our current systems have problems, but I think we can continue to remedy those problems using government policy. The idea of throwing everything that we've accomplished away so far to move to another hypothetical system that we have no evidence of working strongly and have seen it bend towards authoritarian dictatorships over and over and over again seems like not the best idea to me. Just remember, when we were moving from monarchism into capitalism, there was no evidence that capitalism worked. Well, the evidence was that people were naturally gravitating towards it because it was a superior form of economic organization. We didn't need the king or queen to endorse capitalism. Right now, we're asking for the kings and queens of society, meaning the government policymakers, to show uh, uh, financial and, and legislative preference to a hypothetical system that we don't know if it would work, right? To be clear, you I don't think that the, you keep drawing the comparison between the evolution of capitalism and the, per, the supposed evolution of socialism. The evolution to capitalism was evolution, but the change to, to socialism is, is engineered. Uh, there's no guarantee that like an engineered solution is going to work as organically or as as well as a as a naturally evolved system would work. So I don't know if social I don't know if I would say that socialism is an engineered quote unquote solution or that that's how we will evolve into socialism. I'd still well, I mean, if we're saying that like we make preferential loans to cooperatively owned companies well, again, and we worker, start to make disfavorable loans. Worker cooperatives isn't socialism and market socialism is sort of a misnomer. It's not really socialism. So, but I just think that it's well, sure, better but at some than point you're banning, now. you're banning capital owners. You want to ban private ownership. So this is an engineered yeah, thing, right? Yeah, much like we ban slavery or, well, that m might be a debate to some people, but for the most part, I would say we banned slavery. And I think that's good. Banning things isn't always bad. Sure, I don't disagree. I don't know if I would say that uh, slavery is hard because every time socialists argue that they don't normatively load the word capitalism or socialism, the comparisons to capitalism are always things like slavery, which I feel like is, at least in my personal opinion, is normatively loaded. I think most people consider slavery to be a bad thing. But um, Oh, I wasn't trying to like attach slavery to socialism there. Sure. So I just wanted to clarify okay. that. All right, you got it. We got another one. Capitalism here. is better than slavery. A lot better. I would prefer capitalism eight days out of the week and twice on Sunday over slavery. So, 
Like I said, I don't think capitalism is evil. I just think we're starting to see it fail. All right. Well, let's uh, ask the next one. In a survey of 12,000 American workers, nearly 50% said they felt their job had no meaning and significance. The same percentage said that they were unable to relate to their company's mission. Would workers have uh, higher really job satisfaction under capitalism or socialism? Job satisfaction, fellas. Um, I think under any system where workers are appreciated more by their firms and paid well, I think that there would be more um, appreciation and satisfaction with their jobs, whether that's capitalism or socialism. Any economic system where workers are appreciated by the whatever firms they work for are paid well, um, that they, they would have more, sad, more job satisfaction. Um, I'm kind of agnostic on that. I'm not sure. Um, I'm trying to think about, like, if, like, if you have a bunch of McDonald's workers and they feel like alienated, I, the, I debated a guy, uh, Michael Albert, who's the founder of participatory economics, and I think the phrase that he used a lot was alienated from your labor. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if the alienation from your labor exists because you feel like you don't have a lot of control over your job or if it's just because your job fucking sucks. Um, when I worked at McDonald's, I don't know if me getting to dictate like how frequently we change the fry oil is going to make me feel any better about dealing with the absolute fucking dredge of the earth that comes in and wants to shit on me because their, you know, McWhopper isn't fucking cooked fast enough. Uh, maybe for some people it would, maybe for others it wouldn't. I, I, I truly, I truly agnostic. It sounds like I'm leaning one way or the other, but I truly am agnostic on that. It might be the case that if you give employees like more control over the, the everything going on in the workplace, maybe they do feel a bit more involved. Maybe they do feel a, a, bit, a little bit better about working their jobs. Um, or it might be the case that, you know, the workers all come in on Friday to vote for the next thing that happens and nobody gives a fuck. They all just kind of like talk amongst each other. They're like, okay, this is stupid. We vote on our shit and then we leave. Um, who knows? I, I, I truly don't know the answer to that, yeah. U.S. workers choose to work more than workers in other countries. U.S. workers worked on average 34.3 hours per week, more than workers in the Netherlands who worked 27.5 hours, Norway 27.4, and Denmark 27.1. So all those other countries are, you've got seven more hours of work here in the U.S., so which system is going to provide more time for art and family and personal life? A system that, um, well, and the thing we have to remember is the United States still works on a standard 40-hour week. A lot of these Nordic countries that people call socialist that aren't socialist, um, they tend to have like a 36-hour work week or a 32-hour work week. So they do afford more of that free time for people to spend with their families or pursue their own goals and things like that. And I think that's a, overall a good thing, whether under capitalism or under socialism, which I think would naturally afford people more time for themselves, um, that we give a better work-life balance, maybe move to a four-day work week or something like that, or reduce the, the daily work hours, things like that, I think, even under capitalism, would improve people's lives. And it's something that I would advocate for as a, as a market socialist to move into slowly reducing the work week, um, because as we have seen, productivity tends to stay the same, if not increase, as there's a, a better balance between work and life. Uh, there's a quote by uh, Frederick Jameson and, and uh, Zizek, I think, um, that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. Um, I, I, think that, I, I think that people are obsessed sometimes or get really lost in the status quo. And my feeling is that 40-hour work weeks are just a horrible status quo that for whatever fucking reason, both workers and 
managers like cannot imagine moving away from. I don't know where this comes from. I don't know why the obsession with this exists. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that having fewer hours worked, I think, is definitely better. I, I'm pretty sure that the work from home epidemic and everything basically showed us that you could probably have people coming into the office less, probably having them working less. You still get the same amount of work done. Um, I, I'm waiting in the United States for the dominoes to start falling on this, where people yeah. finally realize that, like, okay, you know, fuck it. I know you're salaried at 40 hours a week. If you clock it, because I also don't know if it's, um, maybe I'm just getting selective stories, but like I hear so many people that work in tech will say like, yeah, I have a job. I code probably like, I've heard anywhere from, I've heard anywhere from two to 12 hours um, a week of work or, or from two to like 20 hours a week of work, depending on what you're doing. Um, but the idea that you have to be sitting at your computer being productive for 40 hours a week is like, is ridiculous. Nobody does this. Um, and even at, even for uh, menial or low skilled labor, you know, that's the case as well. Uh, again, I remember from my restaurant work, I'd say you probably spend around, depending on when you're working and your hours, you know, uh, you're spending anywhere from like 20 to 50% of your shift just bullshitting because there's nothing to do. Yeah. Um, and doing your job faster fucks you over because you just clock out early and you don't get fucking paid. Uh, there's no reward for doing your job faster. So, um, yeah. To, Unless to the you original, get more work just shoveled onto you because you work so well. Yeah, we'll give not, you more. Yeah. To, to, to respond to the prompt, fewer hours worked, I think, is definitely a better thing. But for whatever reason, in the United States especially, we are like status quo obsessed people. And we will not move away from things without like substantial uh, pushes from either somebody doing it first and it working or um, something different. Yeah. And, and yeah, we've seen that time and time again with a lot of different things. Yeah. I gotta say, you've been quite agreeable in this debate. I like it. Well, that's because my position is capitalism. Capitalism is very agreeable, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna go into uh, the Q&A. Uh, so while I ask everybody to make a line, if you guys wanna tell each other one thing you like about each other's system, just one thing, and we're gonna make a line here, uh, just behind the plug there, so everybody can see us here. You guys wanna Well, one thing I would say is the, um, the advancement that capitalism has provided thus far in human society. One second, hold on, just while we was talking. Um, I, I said what I said, that capitalism has provided um, for humans thus far. I, I do still think that we are starting to see the system crack a little bit. Um, but capitalism has provided for humans, has provided for increases in personal wealth. And, um, and uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? And actually increases in, um, well, family time, because we don't toil away 12 hours a day in a field, six days a week anymore. So capitalism has done a lot for human society. I just don't think it's going to do, the, do so indefinitely into the future. All right, and quick thoughts over there, Destiny? Um, is it, wait, is it what they said about their system or about the system? Something you like about socialism. About socialism? Um, I, well, I feel like the strongest argument uh, is a more macro one for socialism, that the more dispersed decision-making is throughout society in general, probably the more empowered individuals feel that they're, uh, where they're taking place in society. Uh, and, and work and labor is probably one of the largest avenues that we express our will, desire, the amount of time that we spend, um, our emotional, psychological, and physical toils uh, ha happens at the workplace. So I feel like the, the strongest like macro argument for social Socialism is just the idea that if in an area that you spend so much of your life, if you could give any amount of control back to a person that's working in that environment, and on top of that, any amount of profit or any amount of the fruits of their labor back to them, I think that that sort of empowerment across all of the laborers in a particular society, I think it's probably the best macro thing to focus on for a socialist system, I think. I think that's right. a good point. Well, thank you to both of our speakers. We're going to go into our Q&A, and we got a lot of people lined up here waiting to ask questions, so uh, we're going to get through these here. Your question. Cool. 
Uh, my question's for Leo. In the beginning, you mentioned uh, we have a lot of starving people and way more food than we need, or yeah, than we need to feed them. Can you describe in your mind the, the specifically what socialism would solve to fix that issue? Because it seems really complex and I'm yeah, having trouble. I think socialism would probably not overproduce food for the sake of, of profit and would probably be more focused on a more equitable distri distribution of food, focus more on let's feed people rather than let's make a bunch of food so that I can make money. And so I think that that sort of incentive of production, 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 so that I can make a lot of money falls away with socialism. And it's more let's produce for the sake of what humans need, which I think sort of, so Marx called it the crisis of overproduction, that capitalism overproduces because it's just trying to saturate the market with products for the sake of profit. I don't think socialism would do that. I think that production would be more centered around providing for humans rather than providing for profit. And Wait, so this I, is a quick question on that. Why, if you've got 20 workers and they're deciding if they want to overproduce food or not, and, they all, and all of them make money for the overproduction of food, why would they not all vote to overproduce food? Yeah. Well, I, I just don't think they'd want to. And I'm, in full socialism, I don't think people would be doing things for the sake of profit. I don't know sure. how much. I feel like this is where like the that. idealistic, like the, the the citizen of the world kind of comes in. That in order for socialism to work, we rely on. I mean, in a capitalist society, we just need one person to not want to overproduce. But in the socialist society, we would need every single worker to come together, or at least 51% of them, and say we're not going to overproduce for more profit. But well, I think under market socialism, most of the workers wouldn't feel like they need to overproduce for greater profit. All right. All right, your question, young fella. Yeah, so I want to bring up a concept of contract law. So it seems like with the evolution of contract laws, when we've seen changes of economies, that the fuel that we have for um, capitalism is the ability to contract my labor for something else from you or barter between two people. And it seems to be a fundamental human nature to desire to own their own property and claim it's their own and to be able to freely exchange those goods um you know you got mutual assent you got consideration between two or more people you said at your end goal was to eliminate the ability it sounded like to enter into those type of contracts where i can't exchange my labor or goods for what i consider to be profit and beneficial to me and that your ideal system not idealism your your perfect system would be one in which it would go contrary to human nature and to our foundations of liberty. I don't know if I would say that this contract is a, really a human nature so much as something that's sort of been pushed onto humans, but it's not so much as taking that away as it is making it superfluous for people to need to enter into those contracts. But I would say that if two people want to enter into like a contract where, hey, I'll do some of this for you if, you know, if I can get, get some of this, under socialism, I think that people would still be able to do that. It's just the broad worker contract of I sell you my labor for a wage would, would be eliminated. And just to touch on private property, a lot of people talk about, oh, socialism eliminates private property. It does, but people need to understand what we mean when we talk about private property. We're not talking about your house. We're not talking about your car. We're talking about something like Walmart, where it's private property owned by a set of individuals, but they shouldn't be allowed to own something that necessary to society as a whole. Why don't we democratize that a little bit, like we did with our governments, instead of letting our governments just be ran by crazy people who want to do whatever they want, like kings and queens, 
we democratized it and gave everybody a say in how our societies are going to be ran. And I just think that idea should be extended into our economic systems. All right, next question. So this question's for Leo. So Leo, you said that there, um, what's it called? when capitalism was first starting like, out of the feudalism era, you said that the capitalism nation didn't fight the other nations, it didn't like outcompete them, we just slowly evolved into capitalism. Would you not consider Netherlands founding when they declared their independence from the Habsburg dynasty and then fought several wars against all the feudalistic countries over the next 200 years to have been a capitalist country, fighting to prove that capitalism works and then outcompeting them to become like the largest economy in the world for 200 years? Well, the first thing I would say is I, I don't think I said that capitalists have never fought with each other or anything like that, but I would say that that whole war had probably had a lot, was, was due to more than just, hey, we're gonna fight for capitalism. I think that there were personal interests involved in there and that's probably why. Like with most wars, I think that it usually comes down to personal interests of people that hold a lot of power that are going to send others to, to fight their battles in a foreign nation and die than that it's people who just choose to go kill other people because they're not like us or something like that. War is a bit complicated um, and I usually think that most of them are fought because of personal interests of powerful people. War is complicated, I think we all yeah. agree there. And war is also very bad no, and no. we shouldn't do it, but we're humans and we're dumb. so. Yes. <laughs> so, so to predicate my question, over the last 60 years, we've seen a, a massive decrease in poverty in the world from like 40% massive poverty rate to just below 10% right mm -hmm. before the COVID stuff. And so didn't that then make socialism or the ideal of socialism, the ideology, if you like, of socialism de facto a mute point because capitalism has proved out that it actually helps the working people, helps the poor far more as China uh, changed their market from a socialist one into a more capitalist one, pseudo-capitalism to some degree that they became more prosperous and had less poor people and that drove the richness of the world to increase where it is today? Um, I would say that the reduction in poverty that we've seen uh, over the last 100 years is l probably largely due to government intervention. I do think capitalism played a role in it in creating the wealth necessary, but I don't think capitalism itself is what distributed that wealth. I think that governments intervening into the economy, things like social security, things like labor laws, wage laws, things like that, that took some of that wealth and allowed it to be distributed to the workers was a, is what helped to reduce poverty. But I would say that a lot of that is probably ignorant to socialism. That doesn't, socialism doesn't really, that doesn't really matter to socialism. But you know, like I've said, I do think capitalism has done a lot to benefit society and creating the wealth to lift people out of poverty is one of those things. We could look at uh, China as they moved away from a lot of Mao's po uh, policies. What was it? Something like 800 million people were lifted out of poverty. So I do agree that, that capitalism produced a lot of the wealth to lift people out of poverty. But in my opinion, I would say that government intervention to more equitable, equitably distribute that wealth um, is probably a bigger contributor to the reductions in poverty than the capitalist system itself. All right. So uh, next question, yeah, he's got a question for each of you. So 15 seconds each for questions. Yeah, this is a quick one. Uh, what is your opinion on price controls in markets in general? 
whether that be for you know um, special goods, non-elastic goods, whatever. I'll let Stephen go. Uh, I think that there are there are very unique times where price controls can be beneficial. The most important thing to keep in mind with uh, price controls is market forces are real and they have to be respected. If you're setting a price above or below what's happening, you need to be ready to deal with the external ramifications of that. Uh, we've seen in places like Venezuela, where largely their economy completely fucking failed, is because the price controls were probably far too aggressive in that country versus other things where price controls could be more reasonably set. I would agree with a lot of what Stephen said. I do think that there are unique instances where it can work, but under a capitalist system, like he said, we have market forces and those forces do need to be respected. Okay. So I would say that for the most part, I am against the notion of price control. Good to hear. Um, this is a question specifically for you, Leo. Um, since the advent of the use of mediums of exchange, individuals in their economic societies have been able to garner a greater leverage in negotiating a more optimal outcome. How is the use of currency and wages to democratize the economy any different than the use of ownership and voting shares controlled by the workers? To, from my perspective, it seems that you want to democratize the workplace, not the economy, so that workers can vote for their interests even, it is, even if it is antithetical to the interests of society or the consumer or the business itself. So to start with market socialism, that would be more a democratization of the workplace rather than the economy. But I think I would have to disagree personally that, that's, that, that society broadly wouldn't want a more, well, a more democratic society because our economies are features of our societies and they are not democratic right now. And I, I'm a big fan of democracy here. So I think that working toward extending notions of democracy into our economy, which I think takes time, would be a benefit to society broadly. All right, your question. Hi, Sean. Hi, so I have a question for you actually, because every time we talk about socialism on the internet, people say we're not in favor of that authoritarian stuff. We just wanna subsidize worker co-ops. But the thing is, this strategy has already been tried. In Venezuela, when Hugo Chavez took office, there were 877 worker co-ops. He then guaranteed them loans at 4% interest rate from the government, which is half the rate for a traditional firm. That ballooned to 60,000 worker-owned co-ops in the nation of Venezuela. So there's a study on this, which is the Workplace Democracy and Social Consciousness Study, a study of Venezuelan cooperatives from Camila Pinheiro Harnicker. And what she found when looking at these co-ops is that they consistently voted to reduce their memberships, to increase the profits for the individual members of the co-op, they consistently voted to not sell to the government store at the cheaper rate and instead sold internationally. And this caused the Venezuelan government, including Hugo Chavez, to basically state that worker-owned co-ops are just a group of capitalists with private ownership. This is not socialism. And in order to have socialism, we have to force it upon them. And this is when they started seizing all these firms. So if you're not in favor of authoritarian socialism and you're putting worker-owned cooperatives as the alternative... And that, in practice, just led with an extra step to authoritarian socialism. Like, why not just skip that and go there or come up with a different solution? So the first thing I have to say is I'm not sure what the phrase authoritarian socialism means. That would be the forcible seizure of, their, of these private firms. Which I don't think is what socialism is. Um, I can't really comment or speculate with respect to the study that you cited. I'd have to read it myself. Um, <clears throat> I don't really know much about worker cooperatives 
in Venezuela or how they played out. I'm sure there's probably a lot of cultural differences between Venezuelan people and American people, but co-ops in America, and I can cite a multitude of studies on this, um, the same things have not occurred. They have not voted for the same things. They operate as productively, if not more so, than capitalist firms. Are worker cooperatives perfect? No, I do not think that they are, um, but I still think that they are favorable to traditional capitalist firms. Um, right. Also, just a quick thing on that real quick. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why, I, I'm going to be honest, I never read Capital because fuck that shit. Um, but um, I'm pretty sure that... Uh, most, mo even most Marxists don't I'm read Capital. I'm pretty sure that Marx himself would consider that a, a worker working in a market socialist firm, is at, there's still an exploitation of labor yes. that's happening there. They're yes. just the exploitation of labor is owned by the employees themselves. Yes. Um, but I'm pretty sure that what Marx would have advocated, I, well, I don't know if Marx technically advocated for anything, but what he, what he described in the future settings of socialist or communist societies was the mode of production would change such that it wouldn't be market forces determining what your final outputs are. It would be a central committee. So um, the reason why any market socialist firm would eventually not have workers voting to sell their stuff internationally or to the government is because at some point you would just dictate to these firms. You'd say, you need to produce 100 bushels of, of um, corn. Corn is in bushels, right? I don't know. Or yeah, 100 apple trees. Yeah. Or I should know. I'm from fucking Nebraska. I should know <laughs> bushels of corn. Um, yeah, or you'd have to like milk 100 cows, or you would have to produce 100 you know, anime sex robots or whatever. All of this would be done from a central committee. It wouldn't actually be the workers themselves choosing ultimately what they're producing. Yeah. Watch out for those evil sex robots. Your question. So, uh, Leo, can you define the organic shift that you were like? So you say mercantilism into capitalism is organic, right? So you assume that the organic shift is going to happen in 100 to 150 years? Or is I, that just a That month? was just sort of okay, numbers okay, for the just, sake of argument. And then Destiny, 300. Destiny, for you, uh, why not just, you know, debate or advocate for the perfect idea of capitalism when, you know, a lot of your opponents seem to want to debate or go for this perfect idea of types, certain types of... I mean, the pro I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I argue for changes in capitalism. Uh, like, I admit, I'm wholly uneducated. I don't understand how... Um, monopolies work in the United States because, or more, more, more specifically, I don't understand how antitrust law works in the United States uh, because I don't understand how so many massive tech companies can continue to acquire so many other massive tech companies. I think it's ridiculous that well, Blizzard, or not Blizzard, Microsoft just bought Activision, Activision, Activision Blizzard, mm -hmm. and I don't even know why Activision was allowed to buy Blizzard. Um, yeah, or or why. Uh, what way back in the day, I think Facebook bought Instagram, Facebook bought, mm -hmm. I think Snapchat and WhatsApp. I think, I think they own all of those apps. So, yeah, um, now. yeah I, I don't understand how. So, yeah, when I talk about capitalism, like there are things that I would truly change too. It's funny, I brought this up as an argument against him um, that, you know, should four workers be able to sell their uh, tech company to a larger company? Is that bad? I actually do think that's bad. I don't like the idea that firm organization in the United States in certain sectors is basically centered around this concept of we need to create a firm and build it up so that it's big enough to just sell it to a bigger firm. Personally, I think that's an incredibly toxic way of approaching, um, you know, firm cycles in, in a capitalist system. I think it's anti-competitive by, by definition. So, yeah, I mean, there are things that I advocate for in, in a capitalist society to make it better. Yeah. And to answer your question, I don't know what the organic evolution into ca or, uh, 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 Freudian slip um, <laughs> into socialism would look like because, at least I don't think, I'm living through it right now. I think I might see by the end of my life the start of that. It's just like the people who were living through mercantilism probably didn't realize they were living through that organic, that organic shift. All right, your question? Your reputation precedes you, so I'm fully expecting to get smacked around if you see fit. <laughs> okay. But I did have a question. 
Uh, revolving around uh, automation that came up a little while ago, mm-hmm. it, it seemed that the options on the table were that either if uh, jobs get automated away, we can have the state intervene to accumulate more tax dollars, use those to make up for the fact that those folks lost their jobs, or alternatively, they could make the conscious decision to not automate to retain their jobs. But if me and you know 500 people are working in a mine and a machine comes along that takes up the vast majority of that work, we're just going to keep our jobs and keep getting paid while letting that machine do the majority of the work. So it seems to me, why not, if some circumstance like that comes up where the vast majority of an industry is getting automated away, why not hand over ownership to the folks that are working it? Let them come in for a couple hours a week, a couple days a month, maintain their salaries instead of having the state intervene to make up for that failure in the original system. Um, Yeah, so there's like two parts to that. Um, the, The first part is... Um, so let me rephrase this real quick back to you. You say, say there's 500 workers mining, a new machine can replace 500 workers. Um, why not just have the machine come in Monday through Thursday, the workers work Friday, and then everybody kind of keeps their wages basically, right? Is that... Or that if the vast majority of their work has been eliminated, mm-hmm. you maybe work in some sort of supporting role or even just stay home if you can't do anything of value. Sure, but then the question is where does the money to pay them come from for them to stay home? If the machine is still producing the goods, mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, not even mythical. I mean, this has happened. Yeah, we're huge gains of product. So then, then the, there's two issues. There's two huge contravening forces here. So one is going to be another mining company starts, and when that company starts, they just bring in the machine. And now if you've got a company where you're trying to pay the machine and 500 workers, well, this other company is going to come. They're going to be able to sell the materials for way less than you because they don't have to support all the workers, and then you're kind of like fucked at that point. Um, the second thing could be that... Um, you would say, well, any machine created for this particular thing would always be earned by or owned by workers coming in, which is some form of like worker ownership. But then the issue that you run into next is who's going to be creating like the machines because there's not going to be as much of like an incentive to do it. Um, I will say that like uh, in my personal opinion, the biggest obstacle that we have towards like compensating workers whose jobs are being replaced isn't actually an economic one at all. I think it's one of political will. Uh, the United States has a lot of money, a lot of capital, a lot of resources available to it, but for whatever reason, and by whatever reason, I mean fucking Republicans, but, but for whatever reason, um, we, we can't actually allocate money to these people, and we have to find ways to do it where we feel like they earn it, even if it's a dog shit program. Five seconds. Real quick, there was an analysis of NAFTA that was done, and people tried to do job retraining programs for workers that were displaced because of the NAFTA trade stuff between the United States and Mexico, and I think what we actually found by the end of that whole program is if we would have just taken the money and just given it to the people instead of trying to retrain them at 40, 50 years old in other jobs, it would have been better to do that. Okay. Holy <laughs> lightning. I, that, that was like putting a YouTube video on times two Sorry. speed. Yeah. Your inner Shapiro was... <laughs> now, right, let's continue. All right. Uh, thanks, Myron David Bates, for hosting this. But for Leo, uh, it feels like a lot of socialists fail to like look one or two steps ahead if something is ever applied. The main thing I would look at is a lot of our companies and firms are vertical in their labor. There's the sweatshop workers, there's the engineers, there's the management, and there's so on. Why, as an engineer, my, I'm vastly outnumbered by the floor workers and so on, say if I make some kind of like the iPhone or something as Apple. Why would I ever want an equal representation for the workers, for the floor workers, as well as the engineers? It feels like it's not in my interest to ever let them have a democratic system where their voice outnumbers mine, or even if we separate it as two separate entities for, say, the engineers have 25%, the floor workers have 25%. Why would I ever want them to have the same representation I would? Yeah, of course. It's, it's interest. It's the same reason that capitalists don't want socialism, because that eliminates the system through which they maintain their wealth and their power over society. 
the engineers, the skilled workers make more money. So why would I want those who I make more money than to be like put on equal footing as me? I, I make more money. I want to keep making my money. I don't think that it's that the engineers income would drop. I think it's that the sweatshop workers would not be sweatshop workers anymore. They'd be a dignified worker with some level of control over the work that they do. And they would probably make at least closer to what the engineers, the skilled workers are making uh, versus what, what it is now. But you are right. It would be in the interest of those who earn way more money than sweatshop workers to not want sweatshop workers to be on the same level as, as they are. It, it comes back to a phrase that I think is very simple, yet really makes the point in a lot of different arguments that when you are accustomed to privilege, equality will feel like oppression. Can, can I take a step on that real quick? My sure, idea? you bet. Um, I, so part of, the, part of the argument for equal representation um, or democratic representation is one, it doesn't necessarily have to be equal, right? If, you're, if there are five mm -hmm. engineers and 1,000 laborers in a factory um, that are like actually producing the components, it's not like the 1,000 laborers have you know, 500 times the voting power as, as like two engineers or 200 times the voting power as five engineers or whatever, right? It could be that you vote on different parts of your jobs. I think that the strongest argument for these types of voting things that you can have at, at these workplaces, even when the work is heavily vertical, is maybe groups of workers would have the ability to vote for or against something that's suggested by other workers. Let's say the engineers decide that, hey, we can continue to make iPhones in the ordinary way, or we found like a new highly uh, skilled way to make phones where if you like crush your ball sack, okay, you can make the phone at 500 times speed, right? <laughs> it might be the case that um, the workers themselves look at this and they go, okay, well, we're, we're, at, we're gonna vote on our floor. We reject this plan. We're not gonna crush our testicles. This sucks. And they reject that plan and they send it back to the engineers. You might think in your mind, okay, well, I'm an engineer. Now I've got to deal with these fucking assholes telling me you know, what we should do or what we shouldn't do. But that, that same verticality can exist above you. It might be that you as engineers have some you know, middle management asshole that comes in who tells you, we actually found out that you can program faster if you crush your balls. And maybe those engineers decide, well, actually, we reject this form of, of labor. So we're going to vote on this and pass it up to you. So even as engineers, even if you feel like ultimately, like, well, now we've got to deal with the people on the floor and we've got to like this do this weird voting thing to haggle back and forth, it also grants you as a laborer the ability to haggle back and forth with management up you, or, or up the chain from your job. Uh, because again, if, if we're talking in a Marxian sense, the difference between labor and ownership means that if you're labor, there's always going to be somebody above you, no matter how high a job you have, because you're always going to be answering to some sort of private owner, some sort of CEO, some sort of uh, board of investors or external you know, you know, investment. Yeah. Thanks for that. We do want to <clears throat> wrap up with that poll as promised. So in particular, if you did not vote in the first poll, you can vote in the second poll, assuming that you're leaning one way or the other. If you're still 50-50, I want to ask if you would not vote. But if you are leaning toward destiny and capitalism, could you put your hand up for a moment? Okay, and then it is a percentage, remember, so in terms of percentage change. If you are leaning toward socialism in Leo, could you slip your hand up? While Ryan does the math, I just want to remind you there are bathrooms just out here outside of this door. 
We'll have lunch in just a moment. That'll be on your own, so you can go wherever you want. If you're watching online, check out that manifold link. You can still vote as Ryan does the math. You can see online uh, on the screen here. So we had a 1% increase. So we had, uh, for, for statistics, well, we had 28 votes. Come on over and speak into the mic. Go ahead. All right, so from the start, we had 28 votes. Uh, so at the end, we had 25 people for Destiny, 3 for Leo. The percentages are 89% for Destiny. At the end, we have 90% in favor of Destiny, and we actually had uh, 31 votes. So we had three extra votes at the end, and an extra 1% went to Destiny. So I think that would conclude our Manifold poll. Thank you very much, Ryan. Want to give a huge round of applause. Stephen, I enjoyed that discussion. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks so much, folks. We'll let you break for lunch. We're looking forward to seeing you at the next one. Folks, if you're watching online, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because there are plenty more debates coming up today, live and in person at DebateCon 4. You don't want to miss it. Hit that subscribe button right now. Thanks for being with us today, and we look forward to seeing you at the next debate in one hour, live and in person, here from Dallas, Texas.